It was great seeing you guys last Wednesday. Most, I think almost everyone made it. Um, and how good was it to hear about Connect? Did anyone hear any stories they, they'd not heard before? Yeah? A couple of nods. Um, and, and really, it wasn't just about, for me, that was exciting. It wasn't just about the fruit that has already come from Connect, but the opportunity there is to, to dive in there. Um, and, and I suppose that kind of ties in with what we're looking at this morning and what we'll be looking at through the book of James. Um, if, if we had one pers- purpose as Christians, what, what would it be? You can shout out. Please God. Love God. Share God. There are loads of things that we think of. The purpose of that, you fulfilled. Well done. Um, which was that there are lots of different things. They normally involve something to do with our relation to God. Um, but I suppose if, if I were to say the main thing, it would probably be to, to glorify God, which is like a kind of a bit of a jargon word. It doesn't always mean something to people because we don't use glorify that much in our normal language. Um, but, you know, you could say, and you wouldn't be wrong, that it's, a, it's an important purpose of being a Christian to be like Jesus um, in the way he cared for others or to be like him in holding to justice or to be like him in, uh, I don't know, telling other people about, about Jesus, um, telling the good news. Others say, though, that it's a private relationship that we have with God and the purpose is to develop that private relationship with God in the quiet place. Or maybe it's to have a moral structure to guide our decisions. And those things aren't untrue, but they're not the main point. The main point, I still think, is to glorify God. Glorifying God is what Jesus does all the time. So if we're to become like Jesus, if that's the trajectory, the journey that we're on as Christians, which the Bible makes pretty clear, in Romans 8, it talks about being conformed to the likeness of Christ, and, and Ephesians 4, being made new after the likeness of Christ. If we go on that journey, Jesus' sole function, his main purpose in every moment, was to give glory to the Father. So that has to be our main purpose as being a Christian. If we're to do that, then we've got to learn some things about how to do that. If we're to be like Jesus, then we must learn to do the same thing that he does. But not just consciously when we belt out the words of the great songs that we sing on Sunday. It's easy to see how you glorify God when you're singing glory to God. But we've got to glorify God in the way that we live our everyday life. But not just in the way that people see it, in the way that your heart lives your everyday life. So we can glorify God, yes, in the choices we make against our better judgment, you might say, or against what our flesh or our inside, our heart wants to do. But we truly begin to glorify God when our heart is conformed to the likeness of Christ and we want to do it. Our desire is for the desire of God. I've gone well off peace. Um, so James, James is a great place to begin. It's a great place to begin any year. Um, I love the book of James. It's both my favourite and least favourite book in the Bible. Um, if you've read it through already, you'll know why. It's very challenging. It asks lots of questions of us. It, it, it gives an example that's very hard to measure up to. And I love a challenge. 
but I also, I don't like a challenge. Because it's hard, isn't it? Um, I have never really enjoyed running, except once I'm out and I'm running. But I've never enjoyed getting up to go for a run. And that's evidence by the fact that I don't, really. Um, but at various times in my life, I've been fit enough that actually once I'm running, it's really not a bother. It's not even hard work, particularly. But still, getting up and getting out was the problem. So, um, it's often, as a book, very simply and plainly state, stated. It just says things as they are. It's quite challenging, but it's actually surprisingly complex. It's much more complicated than it appears on the surface. And we could go through it and just look at the surface titles, and that would be helpful. But what I'm hoping to do, it's going to take us 12 sessions, 12 talks. I'm hoping that we get to dig a little bit deeper and get something more out of it. Um, I like a series title because it gives me something to write down on a bit of paper. I've struggled with this one, but I wanted to find something that conveyed something about where we might be going rather than just James. Um, something about the journey we're going to go on together. And so the title that I've got to with this series, which I'm not fully happy with, but you know, is James, colon, walk the talk. Because I think we often, um, that phrase, you know, walk the walk, or talk the talk, we often have one or the other. But it's rare that you find someone that does both at the same time. If James does everything, it does everything. If James does anything, it will help us to walk what we all talk about doing. If we're Christians, if we go to church, they're all talking about doing what James says. And what we're hoping to do is practically get into, well, are we walking what we say we're walking? So often, it's the case, and the same here, that it's not quite as clever and snappy a title as I would like it to be, but hopefully it just gives you something of where we're going. There's going to be some stuff that we get into that you will have heard a million times before and that you know really well. There'll be other stuff that you've heard before but that you've totally forgotten. And I'm confident that as we follow this book through and we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts through this text, that we will discover new truths that we haven't heard before. Even if we've read the book a hundred times. I will discover new truths when other people are preaching that I didn't plumb from this book before because that's how the Holy Spirit works. So we've got a variety of speakers over the course of the next 12 sessions. David speaking next week. I'll not go through everyone otherwise, you know. But variety of speakers, it's not just me. Um, and um, many of us like a sermon with stories and anecdotes and kind of pithy one-liners. You know, they give you something to get excited about. Maybe someone at the front gets all riled up and we feel really excited. Um, and it gives us maybe a sound bite to go away with. I like those too, but they are not really my forte. I, I don't do those so much. And I don't mind if we have those, but what I'm looking for more is something that will leave us with a lasting change, not just excitement as we leave. Um, I want us to really delve deeper into this one. The stories are great, but I want people to leave remembering what the passage said not the story that I told. I'll still try to tell some stories. So if we're going deeper, and no matter how bookish or intellectual you think you are, or you don't think you are, God calls us to use our whole self to glorify Him. 
It's a very long introduction, but essentially what I'm saying is we really want to know if you're not um, up for or used to reading through the Bible carefully and thinking about what those words mean, then you're not up for the Christian life. It's part of it. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to be great with books. I listen to most of my books because I find it really hard to read. But I still do it because it's important. So we're going to really dig in. And if that fills you with fear or worry because you feel like um, maybe I'm just going to find this boring or I'm not going to understand what's going on, look around. Get yourself sat next to someone like a note taker. I can see David's scribbling notes already. Um, but get yourself sat next to someone who you think is that person. Learn from them, learn with them, walk along with them. We'll be meeting on Wednesdays to dig in deeper again. If you've got questions, don't just sit feeling like I've got questions and I don't understand it. Write them down on a note or talk to the person next to you. I'll allow a little bit of whispering. And let's ask the questions. Let's not leave this book without having you let it change us. <coughs> Okay, I've taken too much time already. We're going to read the passage. I'm going to ask Lorna to come up um, and read the passage. Otherwise, it's all my voice. Um, so come on. Um, it's page 1181, I think, in your Bibles. 1181. And it's the first 11 verses of James chapter 1. James, a certain servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, trials and temptations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not drink. He will not, sorry, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, thank you, Lorna. James was, we're pretty sure, does anyone know who James was? He was related to somebody. I think we said someone said Jesus' brother. Great. Everyone said it at slightly different times. So I just heard brother, 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 brother. Um, yeah, he was James's brother. James was Jesus' brother, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's not 100%. The, the difficult thing is there isn't like a bio in the front of each... Well, there is sometimes in your Bible. But in the actual original text, there's not a bio at the front of every um, book or letter that lets you know all these things. There are a number of people called James in the early church, but this 
really couldn't be anyone other than James, Jesus' brother, because of the way it's written, because of the information um, it, it gives and the authority it holds. So this is written by a guy who knows Jesus very well. But not only that, somebody who we were reading the Gospel of John who, who didn't think his brother was great for all of his life. I mean, that's not a shocker, because brothers often have uh, mixed opinions about one another. But James was not a believer until later on. And then he becomes essentially the head of the church in Jerusalem, um, the, most, the most Jewish place to be head of the church. So potentially the most difficult place to be head of the church, and also one of the most theologically um, demanding places to be head of the church. There's a lot of people with a lot of questions and a lot of knowledge going on there. So that's a little bit about James. Um, it's to the 12 tribes, you see in verse 1, scattered among the nations. And that means that primarily it's written to Jewish Christians. So those, um, those Jews who were scattered uh, are no longer living in Jerusalem, but written by James as their sort of their home church leader. And that makes sense of the style of writing, the content um, of James. It's, it's very much tailored towards the Jew, the person that has that background information and knowledge. And though um, we, I don't I know everyone's heritage in here, but I think that probably the most of us are not from a practicing Jewish tradition. Most of us here have been a Christian quite a while, looking around. And um, if you haven't, then I'm sure you have plenty of experience of church or churchy folks, or at least some opinions of them. And so in that sense, James is written in a useful direction for us, because it's written in a way that both challenges what you knew already and helps you to re-evaluate that and see it through a new lens. Should be quite enough, uh, quite a lot of stuff in there for us to get out. This passage today, uh, as with much of the first chapter, is like a kind of introduction to the rest of the letter. Um, lots of topics which he covered are covered again later, but in more detail. Uh, and so we're not going to dive into every topic with loads and loads of detail. And um, there's not loads of time left in the talk, so don't worry. Um, we're mostly going to focus in on just a few verses. So uh, it's a bit tricky to split up because it is a bit introductory, so it has several different themes going on. But if I were to split these 11 verses, I'd split them into um, the, the first verse, which is like a hello, basically. So you can kind of, don't ignore it, but you can kind of ignore it. Um, and then verse 2 to 4, then verses 5 to 8, and verses 9 to 11. So we start with those, those, those um, first couple of verses, verse 2 to 4. And this refers to trials of great kinds. Consider it a pure joy when you're presented with trials. Who considers it a pure joy when things are difficult? Anyone? No? We, um, this week we've had, well, not just this week, but this week we've had more of our um, house uh, taken apart on the inside. So we have um, lots of dry rot in the vicarage, which is, uh, well, it isn't a great joy, but I'm trying to see it as a great joy. Um, and uh, it, it's frustrating because it feels like we could have really like headed this off quite a long time ago. We spotted it before it was a big problem, but then we didn't, nothing, nothing happened about it. And 
And now, um, one of our rooms is, is out of action, the wall's going to strip back, we need to put a new steel beam in because the, the wooden beam that goes across the top of the window is all eaten up by dry rock, we're hoping it's not going to make the house fall down before we get the steel in. Um, it's all sort of spiralled a little bit and it's got a little bit difficult. And if I'm honest with you, I'm not really focusing on how much of a joy that is. It's mostly an inconvenience to me in my head. It fills up extra time um, that I wasn't really factoring into my week and my days and my headspace. And yet, verse 2 tells us that we should consider it a great joy when we're faced with trials. And these trials refer to both um, physical trials, something difficult, or, you know, uh, a financial, uh, like a lifestyle trial, a hard way of life, but also um, temptations, the way that we go through temptations as a, um, as a Christian to sit, to do things that we know we want to do. I also don't find it easy to see being tempted to sin as a particularly joyful thing, because I don't want that. I want to be getting it right. But James, for some reason, thinks that this should be pure joy to us. And what's the reason for that? The thing I love about James is he then answers this question. So verse 3, the reason it should be a joy is because as we... Oh, I need a Bible up here. No, hang on. No, that's right, I'm there. Um, because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So, why is perseverance any good? Anyone, um, I can go back to running if you like. Anyone ever tried running and not enjoyed it? I thought there would be a lot more hands than that. Um, and what was, the, what was the hardest thing about running? Once you got up and you'd started running, what was the hardest thing? Yeah, carrying on running, right? It's not rocket science. Um, testing yourself produces perseverance. Training, I'm looking at, uh, at uh, Ollie Sainhaig, resident gym expert. You want any gym advice? Go to Ollie. Um, so if you want, if you want to, if you want to get better at something, you've got to, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to do it right, but repetition. Trialing yourself, that helps you to get better at it. It helps you to build perseverance. But the word tested here, or trials, is the same Greek word as is used for, for refining. So this idea of being refined by fire, like gold is. Um, it's a bit reminiscent, sorry to tell you a kind of Bible magical mystery talk, of, of, of Zechariah 13 in the Old Testament. Um, Zechariah is a prophet. Um, and God tells him about how he is going to whittle down to make the people of God smaller, to purify him, to make them better. So to cut out the dross and to purify them. And he uses the same, the same word, to purify as like gold. And when you purify gold, you, you heat it up, you burn it, and you burn off all the stuff in there that's not gold, so all you're left with is pure gold. And there's not that much from what you started with. There's not that much gold at the end. But it is pure gold. And then you can do with that what you will. The pure gold of faith, when it is tested, 
is perseverance. It's the ability to carry on in faith. It's not just like patience, um, when you have a difficult person and you're patient with them, right? When someone's kind of really irritating you, whether it's you're thinking about Jesus and James together, and they were kind of annoying each other, and Jesus was really patient with him, we presume. But perseverance is more than that. It's not just staying there. It's uh, a steadfast stamina. Patience is like a kind of a passive thing where you just don't allow it to get to you. Perseverance is active. Plowing forward with stamina. In, um, in Romans 5 and, and 1 Peter 1, they, they have similar ideas of, of becoming stronger in your faith through trial. Um, in, in Romans 5 verse 3, it speaks of this perseverance creating character. So difficulty creates perseverance, it creates character in the Christian. Surely that character is a way of describing us becoming more like Jesus. Is that not the character that we're all aiming for? So the goal of faith that comes when we're tested is perseverance, the ability to carry on, to plow forwards in faith. And that builds character, makes us more like Jesus. And then James says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may not be mature, sorry, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but I am, um, I tend to like, I, I like Perseverance not to do its work or to kind of run its course. Because um, I like to have done just enough. Right? I really like finishing. I like completing. Because the perseverance we're talking about here is, is an unending perseverance. It doesn't stop at the end of the day. There isn't time for a nap. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a journey that we go on forever. Ultimately, um, ultimately, it's not complete until the end of time, until we meet Jesus, whether we die or he comes back. But we should let perseverance do its work. We should feel the burn. When, uh, when you're running and you're persevering, and you've built some stamina, you still eventually do want to stop. There are not very many Forrest Gumps in the world who just keep running forever. If you don't get that cultural reference, it's maybe a movie for this afternoon. But that's the perseverance that we're called to. And we should let perseverance do its work so that we can be mature and complete. This is a Greek phrase um, that, that Jesus uses himself, um, though he didn't say it in Greek, but it's written down in Greek for us in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 5, he tells the disciples to be perfect as their Father in heaven is perfect. That's what they're striving for. Perfect. So it says mature, is, uh, mature and complete here, but really what we're looking at is perfection. And so the first couple of verses here, just verse 2, 3, and 4, Jesus 
to seeing really the whole journey that James is going to take us on. It's a really tough journey that requires us to knuckle down and carry on. Not just for this week or next week, but forever. And the great news is that he tells us how. So I've gone into lots of detail so far. I'm going to go slightly, kind of helicopter out a little bit. And verses 5, 6, 7 and 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. It seems a bit of a curveball that James then goes into wisdom from um, needing to persevere and let perseverance finish its work and then be made mature and complete. And then he goes, if any of you lacks wisdom, because what's wisdom got to do with perseverance? But actually, wisdom, wisdom is the knowledge of God, right? And what else is going to help us persevere more than the knowledge of God? Um, upstairs, the kids are thinking about this, and, and this is quite a tricky passage to turn into a kid's uh, activity. Um, Abby was thinking about it, and she, um, she was going to make these little smiley faces that go from sad when you have them one way up, turn them the other way, and they become happy. The idea being that you consider it pure joy when you go through trials and temptations. But what does that mean? Why? Why, when you explain to a child, is it joyful to go through trials and temptations? They can't understand perseverance. Don't worry, it'll stand you in good stead when you're older. Does it make any sense? But actually, just, um, just the same as in their life, when things go wrong, and my boys will run to me or their mother. If they get an owie, they come for a cuddle. And sometimes it actually needs some attention. Sometimes it just needs a kiss. Occasionally, I can just blow a kiss from a long way away, and that solves the problem. But they come to me because I'm their dad. And in the same way, the reason it's a joy when we persevere through things and we hit trials is it's time spent with God. Time spent with our Father. Time spent with Jesus. And that's why, if we lack wisdom, because, you know, that will be the thing that makes it difficult to persevere, then ask God. He gives generously. He won't find fault in you for needing wisdom, needing his help. He'll give you what you need. But, this is a good lesson for us, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Um, the idea of this wave of the sea um, is not, um, it's not that it's kind of crashing, it, it's, it's a swirling, changeable whirlpool. I don't know if you've ever seen the sea. Um, not the, wave, the waves breaking at, at the shore, but whether you've ever been out at sea when it's been a bit stormy. And you just, nothing stays the same. It's completely undulating and moving. And you don't know where up is or down is. If you're in a boat, a small boat especially, and that's lurching around. That's what it's like when we allow doubt to enter into our hearts as we're trying to trust in God. And um, i tell you a story about a guy called, um, no, actually I won't give you his name, because uh, I haven't asked him permission. But he, 
he uh, actually now is ordained, but he was, um, he used to tell a story about his kids, and I liked it, and I've never done it with my kids, so I can't tell it from my perspective, but he said, whenever I have a gift for my children, I say, come here kids, I've, I've got a present for you, and they come to me, not me, him, and they say, yes please, and they put their hands out. They're totally ready, and they fully trust that anything that their dad has got to give for them is going to be absolutely great. Dad said he's got a gift for you, so you run on in there, hands open wide, ready to receive. That's the kind of faith that comes from knowing that your dad always gives you good things. And that doesn't always happen to us in our human world, but it does always happen to us with our Heavenly Father. We don't need to be um, what this passage describes as double-minded, literally that means like double-souled, so having two souls being split, having two focuses in your life, two things you love. We don't need that because we know that God always gives us the good thing. That doesn't mean that nothing ever goes wrong, but when it goes wrong we go to God, and that doesn't always fix it, but we spend time with him, we gain wisdom, and we learn perseverance. And then um, finally, you remember the bit of the Bible where it says, um, you can't serve, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. God and money. Well, I think that's relevant here. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do, says James. And then he seems to go on another curveball um, and says, believers in humble circumstances ought to pride themselves in their high position. And we can't quite work out why, why has he gone there? That doesn't make any sense. Perhaps what he's thinking of is the same thing. But when we serve two things, when we serve our own position and our own well-being, we're looking to sort out number one rather than allowing God to do that and, and we serve God. That's, that's difficult and that makes it hard to trust, it makes it hard to have perseverance. And this really challenging but very simple instruction that the rich should take pride in their humiliation, that means should take pride in the fact that um, they are not the best because of their money, and that the, the humble, the poor, should take pride in the fact that they have been elevated out of a place of poverty and loneliness into the family of God. So there's three distinct sections First, that we should learn to keep going, to persevere, to consider trials a joy because it's time spent with God, learning to carry on. Because this journey is not just to the end of this thing or that thing, but to the end of our lives. That we lean into God. God is the firm thing in the tossing waves. 
that we can hold on to. He gives us good gifts. We don't need to be double-minded, which doesn't mean that you can't trust that person, although that's maybe something about that characteristic, but it means that they have twin focuses. They've not decided where their priority is. And we need to make our priority God and God alone. I wonder where for you the biggest challenge in that passage is. There are so many that there shouldn't really be a, a lack of challenge. There's got to be something in there for everyone. But I wonder what it is. It might be something that I've not really touched on this morning. We will do more on wealth and money and generosity later. It might be um, something about trusting God. About needing to have faith. Or perhaps it's that the difficulty is the thing that stops you stepping out. When really that's the very thing that should characterize our life. We should consider a joy. Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts of what it is you want to work on? Would you refine us? Would you bring the gold out from within us? Would you help us to see trials as, as joy? Would you help us to lean into you? Would you bring out the gold of perseverance in us? That we would go on and on for you.